Let go of everyday worries and find your calm with positive prayer from Silent Unity, the newest in voice-activated technology, available on any Alexa-enabled device like the Amazon Echo. Each prayer and meditation on positive prayer will help strengthen, guide, and comfort you. To enable it, just say, Alexa, open positive prayer. You can ask for a specific prayer on topics like healing, prosperity, and comfort. Give it a try today. Serving spiritual seekers around the world. Unity Online Radio. Thank you for tuning in for this Unity Partner Program. Unity Online Radio partners with spiritual leaders from organizations whose mission and messages complement Unity's. We are pleased to bring you this program on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Welcome to the Yoga Hour, Living the Eternal Way, offering insights and practices for spiritually conscious living today with Yogacharya Ellen Grace O'Brien from the Center for Spiritual Enlightenment in San Jose, California. To ask questions or join in the discussion, email us at theyogahour at unityonlineradio.org. Now, here's your host, Yogacharya Ellen Grace O'Brien. Good morning. And welcome to the Yoga Hour, a time to open our hearts and minds to the infinite. I'm Dr. Laurel Trujillo, sitting in for Yogacharya Ellen Grace O'Brien while she's away. Today I'll be sharing some insights and time-tested practices from the ancient system of Kriya Yoga. Yoga is a Sanskrit word that means oneness, union, or unity, the bringing together of our attention and awareness with our essential spiritual nature to be restored to our original wholeness. Many people are familiar with the term yoga, uh, but perhaps view it um, in a narrow fashion as just exercise. Kriya yoga is a wider system, including philosophy and practice for spiritually conscious, fulfilled living in today's world. As a medical doctor and longtime practitioner of Kriya Yoga, I have found it to be a comprehensive system for enhanced well-being on all levels, body, mind, and spirit. Today, our topic is Discover Happiness on Your Spiritual Journey, and I'm joined by Derek Lynn, who is the award-winning author of The Tao of Daily Life, The Tao of Success, the Tao of Joy Every Day, and the book we will be drawing from today, The Tao of Happiness. He has written a Tao Te Ching translation that has been lauded by critics as setting a new standard for accuracy and faithfully capturing the lyrical beauty of the original. And his website is DerekLynn.com, and that's D-E-R-E-K-L-I-N.com. So welcome, Derek Lynn. I'm delighted you could join us today on the Yoga Hour. Greetings, Dr. Trujillo. It is definitely a privilege uh, and a pleasure for me to be, to be in your presence and also to connect with all the listeners. Oh, that's great, Derek. And please, just call me Laurel. Um, <laughs> before we begin to enter into our dialogue about discovering happiness on our spiritual journey, let's begin with a moment of meditation. Let's start right where we are and just bring our attention to our breath, which is such a wonderful tool to begin to turn our focus within. So become aware of your breath. Just notice its natural flow as you inhale and exhale. Not trying to change it, just notice. Notice the cool air entering the nostrils and the warm air flowing out. In this moment, we let our mind drop down into our heart. We open our heart to the divine, one reality called by many names is the support and substance of all that is. 
right where we are, right now. This divine essence is present as you, as me, as everyone within us, between us, and all around us. Just by being present now and noticing, we can rest in this essence of our being. We notice thoughts and feelings as they arise and as they pass away. We become aware of our essential nature beyond words and thoughts beyond all change, beyond thought and sensation, pure existence being. We feel the peace that emanates from the essence of our being. We allow it to pervade the mental field the emotional nature, the physical body, and allow ourselves to rest in our inner peaceful depths. We abide in this peace and let it overflow as blessing for all beings everywhere. Once again, Derek Lynn, welcome to the Yoga Hour. Thank you, Laurel. That beautiful meditation was not only descriptive of yoga, of mindfulness, but also a very appropriate description of the Tao as well. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> I was reading as I was reading your book, um, the uh, Tao of Happiness. I just noticed so many um, overlaps and uh, you know uh, reinforcement uh, of the yoga principles and the principles of the Tao. So um, why don't we just take a minute right now and just mention your book um, because you just told me that it just came out. So can you just Say a bit about that. Absolutely. Um, the release date was just uh, a couple of days ago. Uh, it should now be available uh, from Amazon, from uh, bookstores everywhere. I've heard from people who have pre-ordered and yet arrived for them earlier this week. So it is definitely available now. Uh, and I also discovered that um, Audible had commissioned a, an audiobook version of it. Uh, I took a listen, and I liked it a lot and wanted to recommend it uh, to everyone who may be too busy to read uh, but then have time, you know, during the commute, during the daily commute, that can benefit from the audiobook. Oh, that's great. <clears throat> so <clears throat> let's dive right in then. Um, so in the book, The Tao of Happiness, you describe life as a spiritual journey. And the story of the peng bird describes the beginning of our spiritual journey as we commit ourselves to finding and acting upon our life's purpose. Would you go ahead and share that story with our listeners? I'd be glad to. Uh, it's one of the, the most well-known stories in the Tao tradition, and it's certainly one of my favorites. Uh, and I'll do a quick paraphrase of it. Uh, in this particular story, the, the Tao Master describes a, a time in the mythical past when there was this giant fish in the northern sea, uh, a cold and dismal place, and the fish is swimming around but not really getting anywhere. And one day, as a wind blows across the ocean, the fish, uh, called the Quinn fish, senses an opportunity to do something different, 
to become something different. So in response to that impulse, it transforms. The scales of this fish becomes feathers. Its fins become giant wings. The fish has become a giant bird called the pain bird. This is a majestic creature, not so different from the, the phoenix uh, of Western legends. So the pain bird, using its powerful wings, broke free from the constraints of the ocean, becoming airborne, surging up to, into the sky, goes higher and higher until the ocean below becomes a hazy expanse of blue. Then the pain bird starts off on its long flight toward the south. It knows that thousands of miles away, there is the Southern Sea, and this place, the Southern Sea, is a bright, warm, heavenly place, and that is what the painter has in mind as its destination. And while on this majestic flight, it is being observed from ground level by little insects and birds. They have a great deal of difficulty understanding why anyone would bother making such a long trip toward the south. So they laugh at it. They ridicule. And Little Bird says, well, listen, I fly with all my strength, and I have to stop when I get to a tree. And sometimes I can't even fly that far, so I drop to the ground. So... Why would anyone bother flying 90,000 miles to wherever? And from the painter's perspective, so high up in the sky, it sees the color of the sky, it sees the unlimited expanse of heaven, the far horizons, and when it looks down, everything is just hazy, blurry, indistinct. So it pays no attention at all to the little birds and the little insects that cannot understand it. It is lifted by powerful wing, winds under its wings, and it continues on redirecting its attention to the horizon and flying toward the Southern Sea. That's just really, really beautiful. And uh, the, you describe the uh, pengbird as, as huge. In the book, you describe it, I think, as no one knows how many thousands of miles, you know, across is the, is the pengbird. And I just love that feeling of expansiveness of this huge, you know, huge bird, you know, f- tr- you know, the transformation from the huge fish into the huge bird. So you say a little bit more about, you know, about what is it that triggers that transformation for the fish into the pengbird? Yes, the, the, the giant size of the bird and the fish uh, denotes the vast potential uh, that every person has, and the transformation from one to the other is the activation of that potential. So what it is, it's about commitment, that when you commit definitely to something, to a, a purpose in life, it, it connects with something at the deepest part of you, and you then become someone who starts living with meaning. And this is, uh, this is crucial uh, for the concept of true happiness uh, that Tao sages have contemplated, true happiness being something that lasts as opposed to temporary thrills that we get when we, for instance, purchase something. So the... This kind of happiness is, is a gift. And the activation, you know, in the story, it is uh, described as a wind that blows across the ocean. That's a metaphor for an opportunity that we see in life to become something greater. So uh, that's what I would uh, offer as the catalyst. Oh, it's, it's just so beautiful. I love the imagery. And as we were saying just a moment ago, there are so many, you know, uh, you know, reflections and uh, similarities in the yoga tradition. So obviously in the, you know, yoga tradition, uh, there is this, uh, you know, our true self is as, you know, huge as the peng bird, you know, no, no one can tell how many thousands of miles, you know, our, our, you know, divine self is and that huge potential that we each have it within us. And also this idea of, a um, life purpose and in yoga it's the uh, 
dharma, which is right living, but also in a, for a particular person, a svadharma, which is their particular, you know, uh, highest true purpose, you know, for their life. Um, and I love that idea that here's this fish, this huge fish, you know, in the ocean that still has this potential within it. And it takes this wind, this activation, you know, and kind of, uh, uh, ability to commit ourselves to something larger and um, that is what causes this then you know transformation into this beautiful huge bird as you say there are so many different words you know describing the same totality you know it's like a uh, prism with many facets um, and you know the uh, other descriptions that I have heard that talk about uh, the exact same thing you know, the, that one's mission in life, as an example, or perhaps, you know, the sacred task that you are placed on this, this, in this world uh, to perform. Mm-hmm. Before we leave the story of the pingbird, I, I did want to, you know, point out this little bit that you were talking about, these insects and these little birds that were on the ground and, you know, these naysayers, really. So how does the perspective of the pingbird help it to deal with these naysayers? That's a very important question because the sage who wrote the original story uh, chose the elements in the story with deliberate care. So the naysayers, as you say, are symbolized by little birds and insects, uh, the cicada, the turtle dove. Uh, they, they, are, they represent people that are not at the same level as the pingbird. They have limited ability to fly. They cannot rise up uh, to the pingbird's level the cruising altitude of the pingbird, so to speak. And it is the, that, that altitude, the height that it can reach, is the height of one's aspirations, the clarity of one's mission. And we all have this experience, you know, when we know someone, uh, when we ourselves are on a mission or we witness or observe someone on a mission, you become, you become immune to the naysayers. They can criticize, they can, they can say whatever they want, but what they say, their criticisms, just pale in significance to the mission that you know that you are on, that you're dedicated to, that you're committed to, so you brush it aside. You know, you don't even pay any attention. And what I like to tell people that, that is that if the neg- negative elements in your life are starting to get to you, that can only mean that you are not flying high enough. You need to recommit, rededicate yourself to that goal, to that mission. Then you will find, like the pain has, that you can't, even, you can't even hear what they're saying anymore because you are so focused on this purpose in your life. I think that's so beautiful, and it really illustrates the power of a story, you know, within the images in our mind that go with the story to... to uh, really get that point across with such impact. You know, here's this image of a peng bird that is so high, you know, flying so high and is so huge, and these little, you know, uh, insects and birds on the ground, you know, can't even hear them, really, which, you know, he's so uh, focused, he or she, the peng bird is so focused on, you know, its, its uh, vision as it looks out to the southern sea. So, in a couple minutes that we have before the first break, um, these stories are uh, from... And forgive me about the pronunciation, but I believe it's Zhuangzhu. Is that right? Uh, yes. Um, I think you are doing quite well as far as pronunciation. Uh, it's so, an ancient... <laughs> Go ahead. I was just going to say, so please tell us, who was Zhuangzhu? And, uh, you know, when, when are these stories... Uh, when, did, when did he live? Well, um, a lot of people are familiar with Tao uh, Te translations. Those are quite popular. And that, those are written, originally the Tao Te was written by a sage called Laozi, and he lived about 2,500 years ago. That's Laozi. Zhuangzi came after him about a century after the time of, of Laozi. Zhuangzi is another sage, and he had his own style. He was very different from the sage that wrote the Tao Te Ching. Whereas Laozi, the old master, um, he, his whole thing was to summarize teachings into very concise statements. What Zhuangzi liked to do instead was that he liked to teach the essence from those principles by using 
stories like the one that we have just heard. And he liked to uh, construct, devise, design these stories to have multiple layers of meaning so that as the listeners are being entertained by these stories, the, they perhaps do not even realize that they have learned important lessons about life. Mm. It's such a great, uh, a great summary, and I, we're going to get back into more of the stories uh, when we come back from the break. You're listening to The Yoga Hour with guest Derek Lynn author of the book, The Tao of Happiness. His website is DerekLin.com, which is D-E-R-E-K-L-I-N.com. I'm Dr. Laurel Trujillo, sitting in for Yogacharya O'Brien. When we come back from the break, we'll explore advice for the spiritual journey. Please stay with us. We'll be right back. Wouldn't you like to share the programs that inspire you most with audiences around the world? That's easier than ever with mobile giving. Just text Unity Radio to 72727 and help us continue offering spiritual programs that change lives. At the base of all life is the infinite wellspring of Source. And each of us has a unique way of expressing that source as an individualized soul. Do you enjoy the company of inspiring people who are living on purpose? Do you want to live joyfully attuned to your own unique soul expression? Host Reverend Kristen Powell welcomes you to join the gathering of souls who live this way. You'll meet artists, naturalists, and other soulful expressions that will inspire you to call forth the most alive, passionate version of yourself. Get into the natural stream of your own soul by tuning into Soul Stream live every Wednesday at noon Central Time on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. God is formless, yet takes many forms. What goes around comes around. Chant the name of the Lord and be free. No one comes to the Father except through me. Ever been confused by the variety and apparent contradiction within world religions? Join Reverend Paul John Roach every Tuesday for insight into those principles held in common by all the great religious traditions in world spirituality, exploring the unity within all cultures and faith traditions. Using discussions, interviews, humor, insight, and practice, Practical advice, we will clarify the confusion and reveal simple yet profound truths. Call in with your questions and ideas and help break down the barriers that separate us from one another. That's World Spirituality with Paul John Roach, Tuesdays at 11 a.m. Pacific, 2 p.m. Eastern, here on Unity FM, the voice of an awakening world. You're listening to The Yoga Hour, Living the Eternal Way, with Yogacharya Ellen Grace O'Brien. We now return to The Yoga Hour. Welcome back to The Yoga Hour. I'm Dr. Laurel Trujillo, sitting in for The Yoga Hour's regular host, Yogacharya O'Brien. I'm joined today by Derek Lynn, author of the book, The Tao of Happiness. In this segment, we'll be discussing more stories that give us advice on our spiritual journey. So, uh, Derek, many spiritual traditions, actually most spiritual traditions, do use stories and, and parables to help us discover spiritual truths. Stories can slip past our ordinary way of thinking and the wiles of our ego and allow spiritual insight to blossom. So Paramahansa Yogananda in our Kriya Yoga tradition often used stories to introduce spiritual practices. One of his favorite stories was about the obstacle of getting distracted. So I'm going to just tell that story briefly. Um, there was once a man who wanted to meet with the king. He was given an appointment and arrived early. A guard asked him to wait. While he was waiting, the man noticed the beautiful garden that surrounded the king's palace. 
There were gorgeous flowers with wonderful scents, and the man lost track of time as he wandered around the garden, looking at all the amazing sights. When he recalled the time, he rushed back to the guard, but the guard informs him that he has missed the appointment, and the guard escorts him out of the palace grounds. The man realized his folly, since if he has kept his appointment with the king, he would have been able to return any time to visit the garden, but he's lost his chance. And Paramahansa Yogananda always pointed out that if the man had kept his appointment with the king, he could have come back to visit the garden at any time in the future. So, distraction, which is uh, what this story that I just told is about, um, is definitely an obstacle on the spiritual journey that we need to avoid. And your book includes some stories about other obstacles that we might encounter while on the spiritual journey, which can help us to anticipate the obstacles and then hopefully to deal with them when they come up. So I was just mentioning over the break that one of my favorite stories is about the mantis hunts the cicada, um, one of my favorite stories from your book. So could you share that story with the listeners? Yes, I'd be glad to. And it is so interesting that um, all the traditions of the world have these beautiful stories, stories about wisdom, stories that remind us uh, exactly as you say. In this particular one from the Tao tradition, Zhuangzi wrote up a story with himself as the protagonist, as the central figure. And in that story, uh, Zhuangzi talks about how he was walking outside and saw uh, a strange bird up in the sky and scoop, you know, flying down towards him. And he had never seen a bird quite like this particular strange bird before. It, it seemed to have these huge eyes yeah, it has uh, very wide wings, and he was trying to figure it out when it dipped low enough to brush his head as it flew past, and that surprised him. So he decided to follow this bird, intending to hunt it down. So he saw the bird in the distance landing on a chestnut tree, so he approached silently, uh, you know, looking for an opportunity to get that bird. When he got closer, he saw this this scene unfolding right in front of him. There was a cicada chirping away happily on the tree branch, and it was not aware of a mantis sneaking up behind it, ready to pounce. The mantis itself is completely focused on getting this cicada, perhaps its meal for the day, So it was also unaware that the strange bird that Zhuangzi had seen had landed behind it and was getting ready to snap it up. So the irony of the situation did not escape Zhuangzi. He saw that, you know, the bird was not aware of Zhuangzi, Zhuangzi, just as the mantis was not aware of the bird and the cicada was not aware of the mantis. So he thought, well, this is a pattern. This is a pattern of the Tao in life. You know, all living things are looking to gain advantage for themselves, but in the process of doing that, it is also it's something that can be seen as a burden because the gain in front of you causes you to forget the loss, the potential loss that's behind you. So they're connected. So he was sort of patting himself on the back and, hey, good insight, good insight for the, from the, uh, for the Tao, good insight for my teaching, for my students, for my book, etc. And then he was startled by a voice behind him that made him jump, and it's the, the keeper of the gar- garden, and the keeper was yelling at him, you, what are you doing, you know, tre- trespassing into my property. So he jumped in surprise, he thought, the, the, the keeper was uh, someone that thought that perhaps Zhuangzi was there to steal something. So in going after the bird, he did not realize, Zhuangzi did not realize that he was trespassing into private property. He was so preoccupied, he didn't hear the, uh, the keeper of the garden coming up behind him. So he made a, a hasty exit um, on his way out, and the gardener was still angry, and was still continuing to yell at him. 
and this experience had a profound impact on Zhuangzi. So he went back and uh, had a conversation with students, and he explained that, well, you know, I was so fixated on the external, I lost sight of the internal essence. You know, I was observing, and then I didn't realize what was within me. So this just uh, goes to show, Zhuangzi said, that I still have such a long way to go in Tao cultivation. And I think one of the reasons that I like this story so much is that I identified so much with him <laughs> because, <laughs> you know, as our, you know, as our insight, uh, you know, continues to evolve, we can look back on, in our own behavior and realize how many times we have been blind, you know, and, and, you know, for example, you know, we might criticize someone else, you know, for being judgmental, um, not realizing that, oh, we're actually ourselves being judgmental when we're criticizing that person for being judgmental. So. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, and, that's, and that's the reason why the strange bird was described as having these large eyes. Um, you know, the, the question from Zhuangzi was that, you know, hey, the strange bird clipped me as it dipped really low, but it has these eyes. Could it not see me? And that's a, that's a roundabout way of asking that when we're criticizing someone else, can we not see that we ourselves um, are also subject to criticism, that perhaps we're doing the same thing that other people are, maybe in a slightly different form, but we have this mental blind spot to ourselves. Mm-hmm. That mental blind spot, oh yes. So what does the story tell us about attachment? Because it's really the, you know, each each player in the story, you know, the, the mantis is so focused on, you know, the cicada, the bird is so focused on the mantis, you know, and, uh, you know, uh, Zhuang Zhu is, is focused on the bird. So what is that, you know, how can that attachment then to this thing that's in front of us limit our view of a situation? Attachment is a, is a big topic, you know, in Buddhism, in, in Taoism, uh, in the study of spiritual traditions. Uh, certainly, uh, yoga students in studying mindfulness uh, will also uh, learn to not, you know, get too attached uh, to things as we go into a mindful state. Uh, and the bottom line is that when we're attached to something, it may be material gains, it may be social competition, but whatever that is, we have this tendency to fixate, uh, to obsess over, that we focus so much, you know, on what's in front of us, we become oblivious to what's behind us. And this can, you know, manifest as uh, a too much attention on somebody else's faults that we feel the need to criticize, and therefore uh, we become blind to our own faults, uh, which sometimes is uh, similar or greater magnitude. So... So attachments uh, play a big role in our lives, and, and I think it's, uh, it's a crucial job for all of us to start becoming aware of the various attachments that we do have. Mm-hmm. And then it, in yoga, you know, there are um, principles uh, for living called the yamas and the niyamas, and uh, non-attachment or <clears throat> dispassion is, you know, one of the one of the uh, observances, one of the uh, niyamas, um, <clears throat> a way that you know we're all encouraged to live our lives. So once again, such a close, um, you know, parallel with with uh, the yoga teachings and the the Tao teachings. Um, You've already really talked about the role of, you know, mindful awareness uh, in avoiding this blind spot. And, of course, you know, mindful awareness is such a key principle of yoga. Um, and then this idea of, of inward focus. So can you say a little bit more about the importance of inward focus in helping us keep our perspective? Yeah, you know, uh, Dr. Wayne Dyer, who uh, passed away, he liked to say that there's a spiritual solution to every problem. And I agree with him. I think especially uh, in modern times, the world in which we live is so incredibly full of colorful distractions. And these distractions uh, have a way of saturating our senses. Uh, they can be overwhelming. So the idea is that rather than to be mired in the material world and becoming distracted this way and that, if we can turn the gaze inward, you know, so 
I think uh, Dr. Dyer had mentioned once upon a time that we're looking in the wrong direction. We're looking externally. We have to turn that around and look internally. And as soon as we can do that, we begin to perceive spiritually instead of physically. Um, our spiritual lives have greater acuity that can help us, you know, avoid sort of a blindness that's caused by the overwhelming sensations of the physical world, and that allows us to maintain equilibrium because uh, for the very simple reason that we get to reflect, we finally get to reflect on what's really happening. Mm. And, of course, in the yoga tradition, you know, the emphasis on meditation, you know, and turning our attention within, you know, which is really the key um, change that we do in meditation is, you know, we turn our attention from uh, all of our senses and their connections to the outside world and we turn those within um, and really, you know, in that way um, can can access and can um, have uh, the experience of that, that uh, inner world, our deep peace and joy, you know, that's essential. That's part of our essential nature. Go ahead. Um, I, I was just going to say that uh, I absolutely agree. Uh, I, uh, my wife and I began our own yoga practice at the beginning of this year. We find ourselves really enjoying the experience. We find that it's just incredibly beneficial. Uh, so, you know, of course, I am a, a beginner when it comes to yoga. I still have so much more to learn. But already what I have seen is something that I know uh, that I will stick to, you know, for the rest of my life. Mm. Oh, that's great. So uh, turning back to the stories, so several of the stories show the importance of um, skillful navigation through the world. And uh, particularly simplifying our lives to focus on what's most important. So in the story about um, the, uh, um, I forget the name of the story, but it's the advice that the boy gives to the emperor about the best way to rule an empire. Can yes. you that, share that with us? Yes, uh, the emperor is Huangdi, and sometimes translated as the yellow emperor. He uh, was from about 5,000 years ago, one of the legendary emperors from that time. Uh, and the, so the Tao tradition uh, dates back at least that far, certainly well before the time of, of Laozi or the Tao Te Ching. So uh, in that particular story, um, Huangdi, the, the emperor, was looking for advice. He needed, to, he needed some guidance to rule the, the empire. So he headed out looking for a sage uh, to seek that wisdom, that advice. Now, they had never been to that part of that particular region before, so uh, they got lost. So they were looking around uh, for, to find a way to find a sage to get the advice. And Huangdi saw a young boy walking a horse, so called out to the young boy saying that, hey, listen, we're, we're heading for... Uh, this particular mountain, would you happen to know where that is? And the boy said, oh, yeah, yeah, of course. And, and Huangdi followed up the question by saying, hey, what about the great sage who is said to, to live there? Would you happen to know where he lives? And the boy again said, oh, of course. So half in jest, the emperor said, well, I suppose the next thing is that you're going to know you know how to rule an empire, right? And the boy said, well, it's just like taking care of a horse. And uh, the boy said, why do we have to make it more complicated than that? And what the boy told the emperor was that the key to it, the crucial key to it, is to remove the elements that are harmful to the horse, and this allows the horse to manifest its natural vitality. So ruling the empire is very much similar to taking care of the horse just as the horse will become healthy and strong once the negative elements are removed, the empire will become healthy and strong once the emperor takes action to remove the elements that are negative, that impede, that obstruct the natural flow of the empire towards health. Yeah, such a lovely, uh, such a lovely bit of advice um, on, on so many levels. So, um, 
this story talks about harmful elements. So what are some of the harmful elements that we may need to remove from our lives? Uh, well, the symbology of, of Tao stories are, are always written to, uh, they're meant to apply in multiple levels of the human experience. And so because of that, when we encounter a phrase like, you know, quote-unquote, that which is harmful, uh, those negative elements, it can actually cover a lot of ground. So in our modern lives, this can mean something as, as awful, uh, as destructive as addiction, you know, substance abuse, uh, perhaps even physical violence. Um, and, you know, not quite so severe as that, but, you know, something that people quite a few people do have uh, issues with, uh, like overconsumption, overindulgence. And it could also be just, you know, bad habits in general, forgetfulness, um, not practicing the, the mindful techniques of spirituality, uh, perhaps procrastination that many people are prone to. You know, certainly I was, uh, as a younger person, very much a procrastinator. These are all behavior patterns um, that we know are not good for us. The bottom line is that for whatever reason, for one reason or another, we've not been able to remove them from our lives. Hence, the importance of having a story to remind us that we need to take certain actions to, you know, effect their eventual removal. Yes, indeed. And uh, one of the other things that you mentioned in the book is, is even clutter, um, you know, as, as, a, as an obstacle. So, um, you know, taking steps to, you know, simple steps, you know, for example, just, you know, getting rid of clutter, trying to, you know, clear out, you know, clear out spaces. And uh, if you know, you're not using things to give them away and uh, so much wisdom, you know, really in this in this story. And of course, again, spiritual principles, you know, totally overlap with those in yoga, again, reminded of the um, of uh, cleanliness, which is another of the niyamas in uh, yoga, that really talks about keeping our, you know, environments clean, and, uh, you know, our having our diet and, uh, you know, following these, uh, following these, uh, healthy guidelines. And with that, I can't believe it, but we've actually come to, uh, another break. You're listening to the Yoga Hour. I'm Dr. Laurel Trujillo sitting in for regular host Yogacharya O'Brien. Today's guest is Derek Lynn, author of several books on the Tao, including his most recent book, The Tao of Happiness. You can find out more on his website, Derek Lynn. We welcome your comments and your questions. You can contact us at yogahour at unity.fm. Please stay with us. We'll be right back to explore Arrival, the end of the journey. If I were brave, I'd walk the razor's where fools and dreamers How is life working for you? Would it be okay with you if life got easier, simpler, yet more meaningful and vibrant? Join certified life coach Carla McClellan Tuesday afternoons for Vibrant Living. Each week, Coach Carla and her guests will share strategies and solutions designed to make your life more vibrant. Is there something in your life you'd like help with? A dream you'd like to achieve? A relationship you'd like to improve? Call into the show toll-free for Coaching with Carla. That's Vibrant Living, Life Coaching with Carla, Tuesdays at 3 p.m. Central on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. What if we're all meant to do what we secretly dream? Does music open your heart and bring you peace and joy? Experience the sacredness of sound with Ramdesh Kaur as we travel the world of mantra, kundalini yoga, and devotional music. Join us for a journey into spirit, Thursdays at 4 p.m. Central, 5 p.m. Eastern, on Spirit Voyage Radio with Ramdesh. 
Only on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Listening to the Yoga Hour, Living the Eternal Way, with Yogacharya Ellen Grace O'Brien. If you have a question, please submit it via email at the Yoga Hour at UnityOnlineRadio.org and we will respond. Now, back to the Yoga Hour. Welcome back to the Yoga Hour. I'm Dr. Laurel Trujillo, sitting in for the Yoga Hour's regular host, Yogacharya O'Brien. My guest today is author Derek Lynn, whose most recent book is The Tao of Happiness. Um, so, Derek, all journeys have beginnings and endings. Our spiritual journey is lifelong, so it extends up until the time of our death. Your book contains several stories from Zhuang Zhu about the completion of our life's work at our life's end, and that really look at death as transformation, and in particular, looking at death as transformation, I just love the story of the dream of the butterfly. So would you share that one with our listeners? Yes, in my opinion, it is the most important story um, of all the many stories that Zhuangzi has written. Um, to tell that story, let me just say a, a couple of words on that. Zhuangzi, uh, the second character there, that's a title meaning master. So his actual name, Zhuang, is the surname. His given name is Zhou, so Zhuangzhou is actually his name. And he refers to himself not as Master Zhuang, but as Zhuangzhou. He does not call himself by the honorary that people call him. Uh, this particular story in the original writing is just a few lines, and that's because it was always meant to be the outline of a story. Uh, a Tao master, uh, someone who's actually trained in the authentic traditions, would know to add just enough to turn it into to turn the outline into a story. So the reason why I needed to write this book, one of the, the biggest reasons is because when we have um, academic translations of the original writing, the, the story doesn't seem to make a lot of sense. It's just a couple of lines and that's it. And people will read that and wonder, well, what is the point? Now, if they were to find themselves in Asia, sitting down, listening to a Tao master tell the story, it's a completely different experience. And that's what mm-hmm. I would like to to convey for everyone. Yeah, please. So, in this story, uh, an old friend saw Zhuangzi sitting by himself, deep in thought. So he approached Zhuangzi, uh, and he greeted Zhuangzi. What is on your mind, old friend? So Zhuangzi saw him, Zhuangzi nodded, and said, well, I'm thinking about a question, a question about the transformation of existence. So this phrase was unusual enough that the friend became curious, and he said, well, what brought this about? So Zhuangzi said, I was out in the field this afternoon, and I dozed under a tree. I had this vivid dream that I was a butterfly. I had these large and beautiful wings. I flew above the field. I flew this way and that, so free, so happy, and Everything that I experienced in the dream felt absolutely real in every way. So I forgot that I was Zhuangzhou. I was simply the butterfly and nothing else. So his friend said, well, that's wonderful. And Zhuangzhou said, it was wonderful, but it had to end. When I woke up, I realized that I was myself, Zhuangzhou, after all, and not the butterfly. And this is, this is what is so puzzling to me. And his friend said, well, what's so puzzling about that? You know, I've had nice dreams. You had a nice dream. That's, that's all there is to it. And Zhuangzhou said, well, what if I'm dreaming right now? I thought that I was Zhuangzhou, you know, upon awakening, and that I had a dream of being a butterfly. Suppose... I am really a butterfly that, at this moment, is dreaming of being Zhuangzhou. And his friend said, well, I can tell you, you're Zhuangzhou, you're my friend, you're yourself, you're not a butterfly. 
And Zhuang Zi said, I'm, I'm sure you're right that there is a difference between Zhuang Zhou and the butterfly. Unfortunately, there's nothing you can do to help me identify what that difference is because, my friend, you may be part of my dream. You may be part of my dream that's trying to convince me that this is real. So this is the essential question about the transformation of existence. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> I, I just love that, and I love the the uh, image of the transformation. Of course, just so perfect of being the uh, the, the uh, butterfly image, um, because of course. You know, where do butterflies start? You know, they start, you know, as caterpillars and then, you know, and go in through, you know, through this transformation to become this, you know, butterfly. So, um, you, you know, and you spoke also in the book, in your book about, you know, that, that, uh, um, butterfly image. Can you elaborate on that a bit? Um, I, I think, you know, this is the essential image of transformation. Uh, we all know that the caterpillar and, and the butterfly they seem so different, and yet we know for a fact that when, a bu- when the caterpillar transforms into the butterfly, it is the same entity. It's the same thing. So that realization, that observation is what we can all, we can pivot off of that to consider the difference between the spiritual self and the physical self. The physical self, like the caterpillar, is earthbound. It is um, here in the material world, just like the caterpillar spends all its time, you know, basically feeding itself, we in this world, our physical self, is pretty much concerned about, you know, survival, consumption, getting through one day after another, etc. So the spiritual self is quite different. The spiritual self is what emerges upon the transformation in this process that we call death. So in that process, in that transformation, organic matter transforms into a being of light. But it's still you. You haven't, you haven't become something that is not you. You remain you, but it's a different manifestation of you, just like the butterfly seems to be different from the caterpillar. <clears throat> exactly. <clears throat> Excuse me. <clears throat> the um, and in, in the I, book, by, in the in the book, by the way, I uh, <clears throat> the example um, that you know I have also heard uh, from from others that the difference between the caterpillar and the butterfly is so dramatic. It's sort of like you know if you park your car in a garage for a month, and after a month you check on it, and that car has emerged from the garage as an airplane. You know, that's, that's, right. that's how dramatic the difference is. <laughs> right, but yet it's still the same thing. So what I was going to say is, is um, you know, it really gets at the question of, you know, are we physical beings having a spiritual experience occasionally, or are we spiritual beings all the time? Are we really that hidden butterfly um, that is having a human experience? Um and uh yeah i love that image of that it really of course is the same thing it's it's a question of you know the 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 uh transformation but it's our essential nature our essential you know butterfly nature and that um beautiful um you know uh, representation of our you know what we really are what we really are at the core you know of our being yeah i i like to ask everyone to hang on to this thought especially in times of grief you know, when loved ones have passed away, when have, they have gone through the transformation themselves, you know, it's perfectly understandable that we may miss them. But we want also, with this, with this understanding from the story of Zhuangzi, we want also be glad for them because we know they're finally liberated from the limitations of the material world and we can see the beauty of what they have become. Mm, that's so lovely. Um, and with that, we have come to the end of this Yoga Hour program. You've been listening to the Yoga Hour. It's been my pleasure to share this time with you. 
I'm Dr. Laurel Trujillo, sitting in for Yogacharya O'Brien. We've been discussing how to discover happiness on your spiritual journey with special guest Derek Glenn, author of many books on the Tao, including his most recent book, The Tao of Happiness. You can find out more on his website, DerekGlenn.com. And you may also want to check out an archive episode of uh, that also uh, was with Derek Lynn in a conversation with Yogacharya O'Brien um, called Self-Inquiry for Joyful Living Every Day, and that was from September 6th, 2012. Um, you can get it online uh, at uh, uh, unity.fm, uh, and you can also find it on the CSE website, um, and of course, also available on iTunes. So thank you so much, Derek Lynn, for joining us today. Absolutely, my pleasure. Thank you. So, for our listeners, uh, next week's show will be Healthy Living Through the Bhagavad Gita, a conversation between Yogacharya O'Brien and Swami Bodhananda Saraswati. How do we live life well so that we're deeply satisfied? Listen in and discover advice for living in a healthy and practical way that supports your highest potential. Um, For those listening to on in real time, which is uh, today is uh, November nineteenth, twenty fifteen. Um, there is an, a retreat that actually starts this evening with Yogacharya O'Brien and Swami Bodhananda called Self Unfoldment: Living Up to Our Highest Potential, and that extends through this coming Saturday. The Yoga Hour is a service project of the Center for Spiritual Enlightenment, a meditation tr- center in the Kriya Yoga tradition. Uh, for more information about Center for Spiritual Enlightenment, visit csecenter.org. Remember to subscribe to the Yoga Hour podcast at iTunes. I want to give a quick thank you to the Yoga Hour team, regular host, founder, and director, Yogacharya O'Brien, as well as producer Vicki Martin, and of course, Jeff Comfort in the sound booth. I look forward to being with you again when Yogacharya O'Brien is away. Until then... Remember, you carry your own healing and wholeness within you. Share your peace and your joy with all that you meet. Bye now. Thank you for tuning in to The Yoga Hour, Living the Eternal Way, with Yogacharya Ellen Grace O'Brien. Join us every Thursday morning at 10 a.m. Central, 8 a.m. Pacific, for practical, purposeful methods for spiritually conscious living every day. The Yoga Hour, Living the Eternal Way, only on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. This program is brought to you in part by friends and members of the Center for Spiritual Enlightenment in San Jose, California, a ministry in the tradition of Kriya Yoga, the ancient science of self and God realization, www.csecenter.org. Request free literature by writing info at csecenter.org. Reverend Paulette's mantra is, it's all a prayer. Tune in every Tuesday as Unity Minister Paulette Pipe leads you in meditation and prayer on touching the stillness. Make no mistake, this is not nap time. With an energy that will captivate you, touching the stillness will guide you in deep meditation, leaving you enlivened. Hear astounding meditations and learn more about different forms of meditation. Enrich your prayer life as Reverend Paulette, Senior Minister of Touching the Stillness Ministries, affirmatively prays with power and authority by taking live prayer requests from callers like you. Whether you have a prayer request for yourself or for a loved one or are ready for a deepened meditation experience, make sure you tune in on Tuesdays at 11 a.m. Central Time, where we'll be joining in consciousness with the unceasing prayer activity of the Silent Unity 24-7 Prayer Ministry at Unity Village. That's Touching the Stillness with Reverend Paulette Pipe every Tuesday right here on Unity Online Radio 
the voice of an awakening world. Letting go in the stillness. Let go of everyday worries and find your calm with positive prayer from Silent Unity, the newest in voice-activated technology. Available on any Alexa-enabled device like the Amazon Echo. Each prayer and meditation on positive prayer will help strengthen, guide, and comfort you. To enable it, just say, Alexa, open positive prayer. You can ask for a specific prayer on topics like healing, prosperity, and comfort. Give it a try today. 